This is Kick-Ass News. I'm Ben Mathis. The future is coming. Make it brighter with Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easy to turn your idea into a unique website. Showcase your work, blog, or publish content, even sell products and services of all kinds in just a few clicks. You can customize everything from look and feel to settings and products using beautiful templates created by world-class designers. And there's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code KICK to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Again, that's squarespace.com and offer code KICK. And now, enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Ben Mathis. Welcome to Kick-Ass News. Moviegoers know Andy McDowell's unmistakable southern drawl and South Carolina charm from acclaimed independent films like Steven Soderbergh's Sex, Lies, and Videotape and Robert Altman's Shortcuts, as well as memorable romantic comedies including Groundhog Day, Green Card, and Four Weddings and a Funeral. In her latest film, Love After Love, Andy McDowell plays a widow coming to terms with the death of her husband and trying her best to keep her family sane as they each deal with grief in their own way. The film won the award for Best Feature Drama at the Tribeca Film Festival, and it's being called Andy McDowell's Best Work in Years. Today, Andy joins me on the podcast to talk about the movie, why good roles for actresses of a certain age are so few and far between, and why she thinks that's about to change as part of the larger Time's Up movement in Hollywood. She shares her very own hashtag MeToo experience as a young model starting out in New York City and how the entertainment industry has changed over her more than 35-year career. She discusses why she's chosen to live outside of Los Angeles and New York until recently, some of the advice she gives her two daughters as they begin their own acting careers, and how her mother's alcoholism forced a young Andy McDowell to grow up quickly. She talks about the pressure of getting thrown in the deep end on her very first movie and the hard work she had to do to get from that film to her breakout role in Sex, Lies, and Videotape, and what she learned about grief and healing on her latest movie, Love After Love. Plus, she talks about the infamous peach tower in her hometown that looks like something else, why her girls' nights out often involved a Norwegian accent, and why Bill Murray doesn't sign autographs on Fridays. Coming up with the irrepressible Andy McDowell in just a moment. Andy McDowell has starred in some of my favorite films of the past two or three decades, from Sex, Lies, and Videotape and Robert Altman's Shortcuts to modern classics like Groundhog's Day and Four Weddings and a Funeral. Now she stars as a woman coping with the death of her husband and trying to find her footing again in a new movie called Love After Love, which opens in theaters this Friday. Andy McDowell, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Well... People have drawn comparisons between Love After Love and your breakout film, Sex, Lies, and Videotape, Um, both psychologically complex characters, a little bit broken. Sex, Lies was one of the films that kicked off the whole independent film movement in the early 90s. And now here you are returning to independent film after 
mostly doing Hollywood movies and television for the past 25 or so years. Does it feel a little bit like you've come full circle? I think it's just really hard to find these kinds of roles. I don't Mm -hmm. think that they are readily available (laughs) um and (laughs) particularly um, for a woman yeah particularly for women i think i think they're really hard to find and um both directors uh, steven and russ are both they're very similar in that i think they really love women and the way that they view women the way they see women it's true it you know it is true and russ really did his homework this is his first film but he is he loves movies, mm-hmm. um, and he really did. He researched it really well. He had really? us watch a um, a whole a whole list of beautiful, really, really? beautiful m- movies like Cassavetes and Bergman and Yeah, I was um, going to say it feels sort of like a Cassavetes movie. <laughs> yes, yes, um, Pilat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we, there was just we, you know the the Godfather. Mm-hmm. Um, so many movies that he. That he wanted us to watch so that we understood the feeling of mm-hmm. what was going to happen in, the, in this film. And all of the characters are deeply developed. I think, it, you know, it's that kind of movie. It is a movie that is, that is like, you know, like you could say a psychologically intelligent movie. And it's about death. Death is a really big subject. It's about death and what happens to people when they leave, they lose someone that's that powerful mm-hmm. in their life, uh, and how you behave because we don't really communicate well as a family. We're we're a dysfunctional family, artistic, you know, a beautiful dysfunctional family, um, very artistic and and interesting family, mm-hmm. and. It doesn't. It doesn't spell out everything. I don't think until the yeah, very end of the movie. Yes, it's. Yeah, I do too. I like those <laughs> kinds of movies it, that surprise you. You're watching it Definitely. and you're not anticipating. Um, uh, James Adomian's uh, scene at the end when he does mm-hmm. the stand up. I think that scene is so powerful. And then James sums it up. Mm-hmm. I love that it ends with him doing stand-up, talking about his family, because exactly. your two yeah. sons are played by James and Chris, who are both stand-up comedians. Right. Uh, were they fun guys to work with? It was interesting to watch them. They're both yeah. really bright and very strong. They're very, you know, st- strong men. Um yeah, yeah, you know, they it was you know it's not like they were doing stand up with each other, but right. they're quick. They're I think people that do stand up have to have very quick minds. Mm-hmm. So it, they were fun to be around in that way, and also we did improv, and um, I'm very comfortable with doing improv, having come from a world of working with a lot of comedians. And and so I'm comfortable doing improv. Nobody knows it, but I actually did a movie one time that was two movies that nobody saw. Mm-hmm. They were totally improv. <laughs> really? And the great thing about doing them is that I, pr- I had a lot of practice. I've had a lot of practice. So Which movies are these? Uh, let's don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, never mind. All right. <laughs> but I don't regret them. But yeah. I don't regret them because we I, I've got to practice mm-hmm. doing that. And I actually yeah. thought about it. I was like, well... You know, I don't think anybody's ever going to see this, and um, but I, it's like going to school. So yeah, it's a great there you experience. Go. It's a good experience. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I kind of wanted to ask you if there was a lot of improv in this because one of the things that I feel is so original and so different about this movie and authentic in a way that I haven't seen in a while is the audience almost feels like 
they walked into the film five minutes late because there's not a lot of exposition. The director, Russ Harbaugh, kind of drops you in in the middle mm-hmm. of this and lets you figure out what's going on. You often have things shot through doorways or mm-hmm. windows, so it feels like you're getting a, these little glimpses inside the family's life. Right. What was that process like? Did he start rolling the camera before the scene starts? Um, there were, there was not really a... Yes, it was. we would a lot of times start... Improving mm-hmm. and get into the scene, okay. and you don't know, and we would not know exactly where the scene would end. Oh, you interesting. Were, you, there was freedom. Wow. To, there was freedom within the scene. Some, you know, but a lot of it was cut down to basically what the scene was about. But mm-hmm. it it gave you time to to be lost yeah. in the scene. And um, all right, the opening scene is improved. But oh, really? that's by accident because we oh, really? did, yeah, we were <laughs> shooting a, the scene, but um, it, Chris asked me um, about, so what makes you happy? And that, I improv So that wow. ended up being, yes. Yeah, this so is that, with you sitting in the window. Yeah, so, sitting, in, yeah. sitting in the window. Some of that was written, but a lot of that was yeah. improv. My, my part, what mostly was, what I said was yeah, that scene uh, was, improv'd. That yeah. where I said my husband, you know, your father's pretty good in bed. <laughs> that's, that, that was improv'd. And then this, the whole scene outside, that's pretty much, that pretty much was written. But I never, the way they shot it, there would be, the camera would just be kept moving around. And, um, you know, we just didn't really know when they were going to get you. That was an interesting feeling. It was, you know, kind of an odd feeling. Yeah, it must be different for you having done, for the most part, I think over the past decade, a lot of television, good television, Uh, but totally different in terms of the pacing of it. Oh my gosh, it took me a minute, more than a minute, took me the first week to calm down, (laughs) to calm down, and Chris's process is very meticulous, and he's a strong man, he's, you know, he has a big presence, Mm -hmm. and um He's not really a follower. He's a leader. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I can be kind of strong. I, yeah, I was going to say, don't I can butt be kind heads of str- a little adverse? Well, no. I tried. I tried to enforce <laughs> myself. It didn't work. So I had to, I had to like, just like, you know, follow Chris's rules. And I was thankful for it at the, in the end. Mm. I, I think part of my problem was is I'm so used to being under pressure from so, from outside mm-hmm. pressure, like get this done, get this done, get this done. That yeah. I have, you know, I've fine tuned. Let's jump in there. That's what I, what you learn from television. You yeah. jump in this. Go, okay, you go. Jump in there. Figure it out. And we didn't have to do that. We got to figure mm-hmm. it out. We got yeah. to... The dialogue felt very natural, <clears throat> yeah. not rushed at all. Yeah, it was fabulous. It was, it was such a relief to get to work like that. I, yeah. You know, I felt like we had a lot of money, but we didn't. And it was because of the pace, uh, the, the, the ability to not feel pushed mm-hmm. really made, us, made me feel like we, I was working on something that, you know, was well supported financially, which was not the case. (laughs) Another thing that I love about this film is how it approaches healing and moving on and particularly your character starting to date again after Mm -hmm. her husband of so many years passes Mm -hmm. away. That whole time I kept thinking to myself, God, if this were a studio film, 
you would have had some kind of kooky best friend or a sister who has to give you some lecture about getting back in the saddle. And there'd probably be some kind of a montage mm, of you trying boring. on outfits because you're so out of practice. And <laughs> oh, you're so right, man. You, you're so right. It's true. Yes. And instead, you, you know, it's, genuine. I, it's very Feels it, genuine. It's very, it is very genuine. And I think, um, I think for my character, it was a sense of loneliness. Mm-hmm. Um, you could feel it even, you know, as soon as he's, go- he's gone, sitting down in the room. Um, that's yeah. sort of like, now what? That that feeling. And I think she slept with her coworker because she already knew him. And, you know, she drank enough beer or whatever and laughed enough that she thought, well, why not? And that was just wrong, you know. So then she had, you know, that was that terrible <laughs> feeling when you wake up yeah. the next day. And and I love that line. Um, I feel like I'm having an affair. I mean, I just, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, obviously she's not, she's not ready, you know, mm-hmm. and so uncomfortable yeah. and leaving her coat on even, you know, it's just like this masterful mistake that you have made that she's Mm -hmm. made and then she finally finds someone that that feels better and the next time you see her she's really making love and it's so different to me as to what what chris's character does which chris's character may i say (laughs) naughty words on here sure yeah by all means i'm so sorry guys i'm gonna say a bad word but it's the only it's the most appropriate word he just wants to fuck excuse my language but he does and that's really what he does and you can see it in his actions that's what he's doing yeah you do not see him being tender Right, right. And, he's, um, he kind of loses himself. It's frantic. And becomes there is, it's, I think either must there mm-hmm. was he had anger. Obviously, mm-hmm. he had something else yeah. inside of him. Where for me, for my character, I had loneliness, mm-hmm. just loneliness and and confusion and just deep, deep sad. I mean, yeah. not that he's not sad too, but I think anger and and sadness go hand in hand that's just not what i was feeling i wasn't angry i was devastated the only time you see me being angry is with the young girl though (laughs) i do you do see it you do see it there yeah which that was a really fun scene that was a great scene yeah it's fun to watch not i don't want to say fun it's it's interesting to watch how everyone in this family copes in different ways, some better than others, with the death of the mm-hmm. father, the patriarch mm-hmm. of this family. Um, two of your sons, I don't know if I would say that they're alcoholic, but they certainly, James. alcohol becomes a crutch for them. Yeah, yeah. And James definitely and, has a yeah. drinking problem. He's, that's how he's handling his, yeah. his pain. And, it, you know, there's that whole saying, whole scene where he's saying, you're the favorite one. Mm-hmm. You're the good one. Yeah. And I don't. I don't show him the same kind of love and tenderness. I don't. Yeah. You see me on the couch. Where is there is that mm-hmm. whole thing? Where are what are the where are the boundaries in our relationship? It's mm-hmm. it's not <laughs> sexual, but it is. But it defin- is weird. It is. You it definitely is definitely going to sense it's that it's kilter. not how it's supposed to be. It's, it's a little yeah. off kilter. It's a little bit too. I am way too much in his business. He is way too much in my business. <laughs> I'm trying to control his love love life. He's trying to control. My love mm-hmm. life. We definitely need a little therapy. Yeah. <laughs> boundaries. <laughs> and I get, yeah, horrible boundaries. Emotional, yeah. bad, really, really bad emotional boundaries. By the time we get to the last funeral, you see them as they should be. Mm-hmm. They start to behave more 
functional. I yeah. think they're finally getting grounded again. They are, they are coming back together. By the time you see them in, in the jacuzzi, you feel like these people are going to be okay. And that's yeah. a really important scene that you see them okay because it's um it's the end of the journey and you know they're going to be all right yeah the film really seems to respect the process Mm -hmm. of grieving and healing yeah it's uh, like i said it doesn't follow this linear progression where you grieve you grieve you grieve then one day you're better then you start dating and yeah i mean it's it's you make mistakes it's gonna happen and that's life yeah yeah And, and it must have been interesting for you particularly to play this mother observing one son who's self-destructive and mm-hmm. you know another one that's falling into alcohol abuse mm-hmm. because your personal experience was sort of the mirror reverse of that. You were a child watching your mom struggle with alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Did, did you draw on that at all in this film? Um, n- not necessarily. I think I draw on my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, I have had a psychologically very interesting life. <laughs> um, I like the way you put that. <laughs> I have. And, and, you know, and I've lived long enough, too, that Mm -hmm. I've had a a lot of really interesting things happen to me and have had to deal with a lot of hard issues and crazy stuff. I mean, stuff I would never talk to you or anybody else about. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Not um, even right now? (laughs) No. But, you know... I definitely do understand complex relationships. I grew up very much a codependent. I grew Mm -hmm. up taking care of my mother, which is not natural or healthy. And, um, and she, you know, she was given shock treatments when I was a baby and diagnosed as schizophrenic. Now, I don't think she was schizophrenic because she never had another episode and that's unheard of. I think, I think that she had um, probably hormonal issues. I think she had postpartum depression coupled with, um, you know, life can throw stuff at you and some people can't handle what gets thrown at them and they they have psych uh, they they can have a psychotic event and I think wow. she had a psychotic event and then she became an alcoholic they yeah. gave her shock treatment wow. then she became an alcoholic yeah didn't so, she yes, go to I the same a, place where Zelda Fitzgerald was uh, yeah you heard me talk I about did, that yeah you read yeah that. I really want to try to do some research I would yeah. love to to go and try to find those records if they exist I know yeah. there was one place that burnt down so I don't know right. if yeah. I can find her records but. I would love I would love to do the research and see what she was saying, you know, mm-hmm. because she died when I was 23. <clears throat> and I don't know. I mean, it's not something even though I was aware of it. I don't even remember how I was. I think my father had told me about it probably. Uh, that's not surprising because that's kind of what my dad was, but um <laughs> You know, I don't. It's not like something as a child that you would go up to your mother and say, "So tell me, right? What, what happened?" You know. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now you grew up in, I think, Gaffney, South Carolina, right? Yes. My only reference for Gaffney is from watching House of Cards. <laughs> <laughs> what is it like? Is it a pretty small town? It's a really small town. Yeah. We do have a water tower that's in the shape <laughs> of a peach. And it, oh, that's uh, real. It looks like our great big fanny in the sky. <laughs> it's true. It is really true. I think they've touched it up. Originally, it yeah. really did look like a great bit butt yeah. in the sky. But, this um, was like a controversial thing in, <laughs> yeah, in the area, around, right? Yeah, it's a peach. <laughs> but um, yes, that's where I grew up. And I, I think, you know, the one of the blessings of growing up in that town is I think we had a lot of funny people. Really? I do. I think that there was, um, you know, 
I think that when certain groups get together, you cultivate certain types of personalities. Mm -hmm. And I think there are a lot of very funny people in my <laughs> town because that's how we got through whatever we got yeah. through. There wasn't a lot yeah. going on. So I, I, I grew up a, around a lot of people that like to laugh and like to make each other laugh. And that's the way I yeah. was. That was my nature. And coping with a mom who was dealing with alcoholism, was it hard in a small town? Did you find yourself worrying about town gossips? I imagine mm. that that's the kind of environment that's not yeah, a, a healthy was, place. Yeah, it wasn't so much like that. Yeah, I. Um, it was much more, it wasn't a superficial worry. It was much more like I, I belonged to, the, to a club, and we used to have, sometimes you would, like in high school, you would have to have these club meetings at your house. It was for me trying to figure out how I was going to take care of her and keep her sober enough and be able to have this function at the same time. Yeah. So wow. for me, it was it's just like trying to, it was just trying to figure things out. Mm -hmm. well, it, that's was, a lot it was for an embarrassment. To, to it was, handle. it was much more painful for me. Yeah. I was, I think there was some embarrassment because, you know, you're in high school. I think I was, but more so, I think more pained mm -hmm. that, that, that outweighed the embarrassment. Yeah. You know, when she got fired, I was, I drove her to Mcdonald's and I thought I had her sober enough and she wasn't sober enough. She lost the job. But oh, what she I was forgot, working at McDonald's. We both were. She was okay. a music major. She was a very intelligent woman, extremely well read, played the piano. I mean, played the piano and a music major and really bright, bright woman. But the alcohol kept, she kept losing her jobs. Mm. And eventually that's where, that was the last job. And, um, and the reason I was driving her, I forgot to tell him this, because she didn't have a, she had had a DUI. Oh, yeah. So I got a That's call from hard. the police department saying your mother's not going to come home. Yeah. But I was wow. underage, and but nobody <laughs> okay. did anything. I was yeah, like, this was what pre Uber. Happened? Like, what do yeah, you do what in that situation? What happened? Yeah. What happened? And yeah. they said, you know, well, she has a DUI, wow. and I must have been 15. So I spent the night, you know, alone. Nobody was even thinking about that, wow. you know. But that's just uh, the way it was. I never yeah. – so many crazy, yeah. crazy, crazy stories. Yeah. When you grow up in a, in a house like that, it's – you deal with constant mm -hmm. insanity, but it's your – it's just what you know. You know, right. that's all right. you – that's all you know. It's you, it. don't know that's it. you don't know, know that that's not normal. I didn't. I'm sure. Yes. Well, I'm, I yeah. knew it wasn't normal. Yeah. I did know it. I did know it wasn't normal. But it, you know. But, but even if if you do know it, you know what? It's not, it's what are my, you going to do? It's your normal. family. Yeah. That was yeah. it. That's just kind of the way it was. Yeah. I did do an intervention for her when I was 17. Really? It didn't work out. It was a very sad experience. But she gave me a home and she adored me. So I, I don't feel that I, I don't think that I have terrible scars because we had a beautiful relationship. Mm -hmm. I know that sounds crazy, but um, I loved her deeply. I really did. And we had our good times, too. Yeah. You know, even <laughs> yeah, a lot of times she might have been drunk during our good times, but they were still good times. Yeah. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy. No, but I mean, that's they're the always way it was. Yeah, yeah, there's good the and bad. We're going to take a quick break, and then I'll be back with more with Andy McDowell when we come back in just a minute. Microsoft is changing the game again. 
First, it was Office 365 with email and all your business apps available from the cloud, and our friends at AppRiver were among the very first people who understood how to sell it and how to help their partners sell it. Well, now Microsoft 365 is back, and AppRiver is ready to help you figure out if it's right for your business or your reseller practice. Microsoft 365 includes Windows as a Service, enhanced security features, and the email and Office apps you get with Office 365. They realize this can get confusing, but don't worry. Just call AppRiver. They'll be glad to walk you through what's included. You won't get a hard sell. The last thing they want is to put you on a service you don't need. What you will get is good, solid information up front. Even better, you'll get free, phenomenal U.S.-based support with any AppRiver service for as long as you're a customer. Visit appriver.com kickass and find out more about Microsoft 365 and all of their cloud-based services. That's appriver.com kickass. If you're an entrepreneur, a small business owner, or even if you have a side gig, let me introduce you to Grasshopper, the entrepreneur's phone system. Grasshopper lets you run your business from your cell phone while keeping your business and personal lives separate. Choose from their huge inventory of local, toll-free, and vanity toll-free numbers. Simply forward your new number to your mobile phone and start taking calls immediately. Whether you're in an office, in your car, or out shopping, Grasshopper's iPhone and Android apps help you stay connected to your customers. Not to mention, you can send and receive calls and texts from your business phone number, set up multiple extensions for everyone on your team, get your voicemails transcribed and emailed to you, Work from anywhere with call forwarding, make and receive calls from your computer via the desktop app, and even utilize Wi-Fi calling. Better yet, Grasshopper offers easy and instant setup and 24-7 customer support, all without any long-term contracts. Grasshopper, sign up today. Go to grasshopper.com kick to get $20 off your first month. That's grasshopper.com kick. What can your data tell you? With Google Cloud Platform, use machine learning at scale to build better products. Google Cloud's AI provides modern machine learning services with pre-trained models and a service to generate your own tailored models. Their platform is now available as a cloud service to bring unmatched scale and speed to your business applications. It predicts so your business can thrive. Click now to learn more about Google Cloud Platform. Visit g.co slash getcloudai. Again, that's g.co slash getcloudai. And now, back to the podcast. At what point did you decide that you wanted to go into modeling? Or, or was it more that you got discovered? Or how, how did you get no, out of Gaffney and I start disco- modeling? I discovered myself, but okay. I did get spotted once. And what planted the seed is the very first time I flew out to see my sister. She lived in California. I was 17. I went down to the fashion mart because my brother-in-law worked down there. And someone came up to me and said, who are you like that? It scared me because I was just some <laughs> redneck girl from South Carolina. I wasn't used to people going, who are you? Yeah. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm Rose McDowell. I didn't know what to say. you know. And he handed me this card. He goes, you need to be a model. You are, you mm-hmm. need to be a model. Call me. 
And um, I didn't say anything to my sister till right before I left. She was like, why didn't you say anything? And I was like, I don't know. I didn't I didn't know what to do. <laughs> and I started crying because I was just this little kid, right? From then on, like my sister would, my, they would send me articles. And it did happen a lot. Like people would go into a store and someone would say, would you do photographs? I'll give you a discount at the, at the <laughs> you know, I'll give you a discount. Then I did a commercial for like 50 bucks. I mean, people were totally <laughs> ripping me off. And um, I ended up going, I did never went to this one school. And but they said, if you come pay the school, the yearly fee, mm-hmm. you can come with us to New York. Hmm. So I paid them the yearly fee. I never went to one of their classes. Oh, yeah. And so that was your I went to New York. Yeah, I went to New York <laughs> with this group of people okay. and went, walked into Elite. And the lady said, When can you move here? And I said, Two weeks. Just not know. Wow. I just made it up off of the top. <laughs> two weeks. I'll see you in two weeks. And that's what I did. Wow. And yeah, I moved there. I remember the iconic Calvin Klein commercials that mm-hmm. you did in the 80s. You can almost see in there the beginnings of an actress. You know, it seems like your personality and <clears throat> well, a little bit of acting was... was shining through, even as a model. Well, definitely my comic side mm-hmm. was there. Yeah. And yeah. What, ha- what happened is they did, it was Abaddon, and this lady interviewed us, and um, she was like, we hear you're funny. And at first I, you know, I couldn't, I didn't know. And then I started telling them stories that I tell people at work all the time. And that was the story about Dot and Earl and also about the Firefly. So, <laughs> yes. And I guess, I guess whatever totally I say up, them, right? I get really Southern. Yeah. These yeah, are characters, characters that you and your friend would do, I think. Correct. My, yeah. my friend Phyllis and I, who ended up being, she does theater in Gaffney. Oh, really? Like my two best friends. Huh. One does all the set decorating, and she does she, she does a lot of theater and, and taught theater. And, she, she was my first director at Winthrop. She, I, mm-hmm. I was her project in a little play. <laughs> but no anyway, kidding. yeah, so... Phyllis is very artistic, and I was too. And we used to go out in character. We used to <laughs> <laughs> improvise, improvise, even then. improvise, yeah. improvise, and go out in characters and laugh. You know, because <laughs> we would do foolish things. Mm-hmm. We, we went out one time as Swedish sisters. That was really good. <laughs> How was your Swedish? <laughs> it was accent? horrible. It was just absolutely <laughs> okay. hideous. I mean, and then you know, I even had some guy said, "You're not Swedish." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what yeah. we were doing. I don't know. Oh, we were, I don't know what we did. I have no. I'm sure. I'm sure Phyllis's was better than mine. Well, speaking of <laughs> accents, then how did you land your first acting role? What was it, Grace? Grace Stoke, the Legend of Tarzan, yes. Lord of the Apes. What a title that was. How did they get? That? Who thought that <laughs> would a, look be good on a well, poster? Well, I think it was uh, taken from like an original. It's a from. It's an oh, okay. original title. So, okay. um, the director saw photographs. I did these. Uh, beautiful. Some of my favorite photographs I did for English Vogue mm-hmm. um, with Grace Cardigan and, um, oh shit, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. Albert Watson's the name of the photographer. My mm-hmm. God, I was going to sit here and beat myself up because <laughs> okay. I love him. But anyway, that's who did okay. the pictures. He okay. saw the photos and, mm. um, and decided that I was Jane. And that was kind of how it all really? happened. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, because uh, what they had dubbed your voice without even asking was, you. But on that Grace was when Oak? I was twenty-three. Right. Yeah, she didn't really have a British accent, but it was um, yeah. mid-Atlantic, so it was like on the verge. Right. Okay. So I think that's that, funny that you say that. I haven't yeah. heard that term in a long time. Yeah. The Atlantic accent. Mid- Mid-Atlantic, which <laughs> yeah. was that's what yeah. you know that's what it was. In your defense here, I have to say you kind of got thrown in the deep end on your first movie. Do you wish that maybe you had had a chance to test the waters with a supporting role or? a smaller movie before suddenly you have the burden of carrying a big budget Hollywood movie on your shoulders as a first time actress? That would have been nice. I think it's a much better (laughs) way to start. I think some people get super lucky in positions like that and they're able to pull it off, but perhaps, Mm -hmm. yeah, I was not not prepared to do that by any means. I had not done hardly any classes. I did not have a a foundation. Mm -hmm. Um, I was ill-equipped, I would say, but I, you know, I made sure that I had a foundation afterwards. That was, you know, that was something I worked really hard on. And I loved going to class. I really enjoyed going to class. And mm-hmm. it, having that preparation mm-hmm. made all the difference in the world. So by yeah. the time I got to do Sex, Lies, and Videotape, I had been studying since Greystoke. And uh, Greystoke, I was 23. When I did Sex, Lies, I was 30. Yeah. So I wow. had spent a lot of time, and I did say Animal's Fire and a couple mm-hmm. other right, jobs. Right, yeah. I, you know, I did The Secret of the Sahara <laughs> with Michael York and Ben Kingsley. Oh, wow. And, you know, yeah, so I'd actually worked. I there. had worked with some good people. Yeah. Um, so by the time I got to Sex Lies, I was prepared. <laughs> you know, I had yeah. a true foundation and um, and this and a support system, an mm-hmm. emotional support system, and I felt good about myself. Yeah. I was really ready. Well, also your role in Sex Lies and Videotapes seemed like a more natural fit for you than playing Tarzan's Jane with a British accent. First of all, she was Southern, so yeah. that's that's a piece of cake. <laughs> and um, and also the complexity in the in the intellect of her, I understood from growing up in the South. Those mm-hmm. kind of women were all around me. Um, so it was very familiar to me. All the nuances, all the nuances were available. Yeah. It was simple and it was easy for me to step into that person. So that was a really great, that was a great place to Mm -hmm. start from. Yeah. And you kind of reinvented yourself there in some sense. It was fresh start. Yeah. Yeah, Fresh start all over. And then doors opened and Mm -hmm. I, you know, I had an opportunity to play all kinds of Mm-hmm. characters and and um yeah it was a, it was a relief because i yeah. i was about to give up actually steven soderbergh this was his first film as well was he very confident as a director or did he seem like he was kind of <laughs> figuring it out as he went along no he was very confident yeah. you know because i just did magic mike with him He's the same oh, man, really? yeah. but but faster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Magic Mike, I mean, he's he's editing as mm. he goes. And I don't know if he did the wow. editing, but he does everything. You know, he does the camera. Yeah. He does. Well, he's so prolific. He, he would have to be he, fast, I yeah. guess. Yeah. He's, but unusual. I mean, not normal. You can't mm-hmm. compare him to anyone. Oh, yeah. On, on, on that level, he yeah. is one of a kind. I've never experienced anybody yeah. like that. There is no one else that I know that I've worked with or even heard about that does what he does. Um, but it was nice, I think, also on that job because he's younger than me. And I, you know, so I I think that gave me a, a sense of well-being as well that mm-hmm. I wasn't, I didn't have, he was not, a, he's not dominant or 
mean-spirited. It's hard to work with someone, and I have had those. Oh, really? Uh, it does happen. Yeah. I think it's much nicer to work with someone that makes you feel good about yourself, mm-hmm. and he does that. When Sex, Lies, and Videotape won the Palme d'Or at Cannes, it got picked up by Miramax, and I think it was one of its first hits. Did you ever have any unsavory encounters with Harvey Weinstein back yeah, then? No, you know, I, I was totally oblivious. I never lived in Los Angeles until recently. Right. Yeah, that's true. And um, I, I, my friends are, were mostly like people in North Carolina where I lived or in mm-hmm. Montana. That's where I lived, so I, that's who I associated with. Okay. I didn't really that associate with um, Harvey. I would see Harvey out yeah. and I always had a really funny rapport with him. When I would see him, I would always go up to him and go, hey, do you remember me? I made that little movie. <laughs> I made your company. <laughs> I made that little movie. You remember that movie, yeah. Six Lights of Videotape? Because he never hired me yeah. again after that. But um, <laughs> no, I, you know, I was sad mm-hmm. because I had a nice connotation. Connect. I had a really nice connotation yeah. and connection with him, and I, it broke my heart yeah. because I, I hated what he had yeah. done, and I think there must be a lot of people that really hated that it had to ruin what they thought he was. Right, you know? right. It's amazing how that bubbled under the surface for uh-huh. so long. I was shocked. I mean, I yeah, knew, I knew he was kind of a big wig. I mean, kind of threw his weight yeah, around. Obnoxious, but, yeah. But there are a lot of those guys yeah. out there. Yeah, they're not all rapists. He's not the only one. Yeah. But yeah. to be that horrible, mm-hmm. to be yeah. really, uh, uh, yeah, a violently horrible, horrible person i had no idea well having worked as a model and an actress you must have run into your share of creeps over the years how did you deal with those types of situations only very early on really did i ever experience anything i think i was too successful too fast Ah, and um i moved to paris and i was working with helmut newton and doing saint laurent and Mm -hmm. so they couldn't get away with that I just know I may was making I was too important. Yeah. Um and I don't think that people victims usually are in that position. Mm-hmm. I don't think that true, victims are true. powerful people. Yeah. And I as a model, my success came on pretty fast and um not, you know, not not the first 3 months. The first 3 months cuckoo things did happen to mm-hmm. me and I was victimized, but it was because mm-hmm. I was weaker. And I allowed things to happen. I think mm-hmm. that's what happens a lot of times. People will say, well, you know, how could, how could she do that? You have to understand that women have been so demeaned for so long yeah. that we don't. It is hard for really hard for us to have our own self-esteem yeah. in situations like that. We are. We are easy prey, and yeah. men and those kind of men know it. They know yeah. when you, when you're easy prey. Yeah, because it's like saying, "How could a, you get? How ha- could you let yourself get mugged on the streets?" Yeah, and it's like it's, I didn't have a gun; he had a, a gun. It's a position. <laughs> you know, it's who has we the power. have learned. Yeah. We have learned in so socially throughout life that men are more important, mm. that men are more powerful, that we are second class, mm. that we are under them, that we need to listen to them. That we need to mind them. These are the messages that we have been given all of our life. And you find yourself vulnerable in a situation like that. You're almost catatonic. Yeah. You're you're almost 
so fearful and stunned that you are, are without the resources to care for yourself. Yeah. And then when you, by the time I think you start to become a powerful person, people can't do that to you anymore. Mm -hmm. They can't because you 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 have more self-esteem. Yeah, there's a cost to doing that. For yeah, sure. there, there's there's a cost yeah. for them, and also you yeah. you finally feel power. Mm -hmm. You do feel power. Yeah. You start to be on their level, yeah. and they they can no longer do that to you because you feel you feel power. Well, you have two young daughters who are actually doing quite well with their own acting careers now. What do you tell them as they start off their careers in this business? Oh, I think I've raised them um, really well. We talk mm. about everything. We have a, you know, we have very open conversations and deep conversations. So I think that it's not so much just about the business, but it's been the process of how I've raised them on every level. Mm -hmm. But um, I have reminded them what happened to me in Greystoke because if I, if some, if that can happen, which is probably the worst, one of the worst things that's ever happened to anyone in the business, if that can happen to me, and I getting dubbed over, getting dubbed yeah. over by Glenn Close when I was twenty-three on Greystoke, yeah. in case nobody's clear, yeah, that's what happened. I mean, when's the last time that happened? That's like something out of well, Singing there, in the Rain. I, there, I, there are some, there <laughs> are crazy. some cases that it happened yeah. to other people, but I'm not going to say it because I don't want to throw yeah. uh, mud throw in other under people. The bus, yeah. I don't want to do that to people, <laughs> but um, the the most interesting aspect of the whole thing. It's not so much that it happened. Mm -hmm. What is really astounding is my success. Yeah. And that says more than anything. And my so what I say to my kids is if I can go through that and survive and be successful, just take a deep breath. Mm -hmm. Because you know, I think this is just it's just a journey, right? Yeah. It's you have a, a long it, career. It's, you have a long career and it, and it's a journey. And as long as you're enjoying it and you feel fulfilled and you're having fun, that's all that matters. Yeah. The rest of it is just none of your business. Don't <laughs> even think about it. I've read that you said that when you turned 40, Every interviewer asks you, how does it feel to know that your career is over? I, I almost wonder if what's going on right now with the Me Too and Time's Up movement and talk of the gender pay gap in Hollywood, if this might eventually trickle down to how we view actresses over 40 and the kind of roles that you're offered. It is the year that women are finally standing up for mm -hmm. themselves, and we're allowed to. We're not yeah. seen as uh, overly emotional and making something out of nothing. Though I have heard people say those stupid comments, and yeah. they had best shut up because we're the <laughs> ones that still haven't had a woman president in the most progressive, supposedly mm -hmm. most pr progressive country, which is not progressive, you yeah. guys. That's not progressive. Yeah. And um, and that's that has that is a reflection of what has happened in our society for women. And how you know men are always put in with younger girls. The mm -hmm. older they get, the younger the younger the women get. We need to have the same reflection for women because what happens psychologically when you see that is you think that the older man is really handsome. That's what happens to us. That's what goes on in our brain is we start to glorify the man mm -hmm. because they are seen in this way. If you did the same yeah. thing to women, you would start to glorify us. You would start to see us as getting older and being sexy and yeah. being powerful and being strong and being interesting. And, and and we need 
you know, that needs to happen. It's going to take some time. I think I'm too old. I think I've missed the boat. <laughs> I might be able to dip a toe into it if I create it, if yeah. I go out and make it happen. Because if you do it, uh, now they want to make a big deal out of it. Like that's, you know, like, right. oh, wow, look what <laughs> happened. Oh, look at that. Like she's, yeah. you know, a, a, but, a Martian or something. But you think just putting older women in those same, in, uh, treating and them the same to, way you would correct. treat an older we man. We need to do the you same You think that thing. alone would uh, gradually kind of change our I perceptions. I think gradually it will change your perception. I wow. know 100% it will change mm-hmm. your perception. And it's also like men feel they're entitled. They're entitled to get old, but yet women they say are not mm. women are not in type do not have that same opportunity they're going to dismiss us and sh- you know just put us aside and and why they while they're still glorified yeah. i think the only time it ever gets really difficult for a man is when he gets really old then i mm-hmm. think the casting he starts forgetting his lines <laughs> well well maybe that but i think the casting the casting just gets yeah. that then it you know like yeah. for anybody but their their 40s and their 50s mm-hmm. are highlights yeah. they're fantastic right. time for a man they're really interesting so are women yeah so are women now this year was also i think the 25th anniversary of groundhog's day i had bill murray on the podcast a while back and he has become Something of a legend at this point for just doing crazy oddball things, showing up at weddings and stuff like that. Uh, did he have that side to him back when you worked with him on Groundhog's Day? Was he catching people off guard and doing weird, oh, yeah. unexpected oh, things? Definitely, really? yes, to me too. <laughs> oh yeah, but um, yeah, I'll tell you one th- one thing he did. I don't remember what scene we were doing, but it's some scene in the car, and he drove away. <laughs> he just drove just away. Just kept going. He just drove away, and we went for a little ride. And I was just like, looking, I'm like, what are we doing, Bill? He said, we're going for a ride. And we rode around. Really? For about 10 minutes. <laughs> and, you know, their radio. Yeah. Well, I'm sure he knew Bill quite well. Okay, so he, he knew went, what he was getting into. Yeah, he knew Bill. They went way back. Mm-hmm. Um, Caddyshack, yeah. you know. I mean, he'd known he'd known multitude of things. Ghostbusters. Anyway, yeah. Um, that and um, what other crazy things did he do? Oh, uh, he you know, he's super popular, so a lot of his fans would show up and they would have to tape it off, you know. Uh-huh. But he on Fridays he wouldn't sign autographs on so it, only on Fridays, only on Fridays. <laughs> so all these people was would he, show is he Jewish? up. Is he observing the it Sabbath? Was just, or no, it was just like showing up at a wedding. Yeah. I don't know, it was oh, just that's his hilarious. thing. And they would laugh and take it because it's Bill. But he yeah. would say, I'm sorry, folks. I don't sign autographs on Fridays. <laughs> uh, doesn't he live in Charleston, South Carolina he now? He does. I, I, see yeah, I'm fascinated there? by that. Yeah. I, you know, I've been down there a couple of times and kind of wished I would run into him. But yeah. that, that hasn't happened. <laughs> we were just talking a little bit ago about how you've only moved to L.A. Mm-hmm. Uh, fairly recently. I guess you kept your kids Far from Los Angeles and a ranch I'm, in Montana, the, the funny thing North is, Carolina. They, they moved. Right? They got me to move here. That's oh, what's, is that what did it? That's, that's what so I was wondering. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to give them whatever a normal life is, yeah. which is now in hindsight, I could have given them a normal, probably a more normal life here because we oh, we, we would have fit in a lot better. I don't think. Okay. I think it was always kind of hard to fit in. And the other places, because I was the most, I was the least normal person right. for in, in their eyes and yeah. other people's eyes. They <laughs> So it was really hard to get people to like yeah. see me as normal. So yeah. I think in a lot of ways it might have been 
easier, easier in hindsight to live here. But I don't regret it. Mm -hmm. I feel like um, there were probably a lot of good bonuses as well. Yeah. And in North Carolina, they were around a lot of my family and um, really good education. Yeah. And, and I must say, it did help me not focus on my job. Mm -hmm. When I'm out here, it's always it's everything is about the business yeah. here. That is the one dilemma. Oh, yeah. There's nothing but the business. Yeah. When you're out here, it's it's kind of hard to escape. And you and most people want to know what you're doing right now. And I liked living in Montana and North Carolina because what I was doing was just raising my kids. Mm -hmm. It was never about Not that pressure. No pressure. <laughs> and nobody was when someone was asked, you know, they didn't it wasn't like what's your next movie? No one ever yeah. that was never the conversation. <laughs> so that was a nice relief. Well, in that case, before we go, I won't ask you what you're working on now or but what your next project is. I'm happy to tell you, but I'm happy well, to tell you because that's ask what you we're this. doing here, right? Okay. Well, well yeah. yeah. We're certainly we're plugging the movie that you mm -hmm. just finished, but <laughs> what would you like to be up next for you? Are there still things that you would like to do as an actress or so roles? Many that things. So many things. Do you have a dream um, role? Do you have a bucket list as far as the things I, you want to do I, as an actress? Yes. I really have been thinking about this for years. I would love to play. I would love to be involved in helping to develop um, something for television. Mm -hmm. Like a, not ex the character that I just played, but something that rich. Yeah, and, and TV um, is a good or place find, to do something that, that was already something that was and, something that was already yeah. developed or something like yeah, that. I would love yeah. to be in an ensemble piece. Mm -hmm. Where I had, I played a woman that I would be proud of, that I would, that I would think would help women love themselves yeah. more. I would love to do that. Whether I mean, it's not, it's not necessary to be for her to be with a younger man. I know that's that whole fight for me is only because men do, and it just frustrates me <laughs> because I do think yeah. it it allows them to get older gracefully, and we do not yeah. have that same thing. That's. But I would like for her to be beautiful. Mm. I would like to pl play a mature woman, an ensemble piece, where I'm still seen as sexy and as powerful and as interesting mm -hmm. as a man my age would be seen. I, I think a lot of people would like to see that show. I hope you get a chance to do it. In the <laughs> meantime, you. Love After Love opens in theaters this Friday, March 30th. Andy McDowell, it's been such a pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much. Thanks again to the charming Andy McDowell for coming on the podcast. Love After Love won Best Narrative Feature at the Tribeca Film Festival and has got a lot of critical acclaim. See it in theaters beginning tomorrow, March 30th. And follow Andy on Twitter at at AndyMcDowell3. Folks, if you're an entrepreneur, a small business owner, or even if you have a side gig, let me introduce you to Grasshopper, the entrepreneur's phone system. Grasshopper lets you send and receive calls and texts from your new business phone number. That way, you can run your business from anywhere and respond to clients quickly with Grasshopper's mobile apps. Grasshopper, sign up today. Go to grasshopper.com kick to get $20 off your first month. Again, that's grasshopper.com kick. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Kick-Ass News on iTunes and leave us a review. You can follow us on Facebook or on Twitter at at KickAssNewsPod. And as always, I welcome your comments, questions, and ideas at comments at kickassnews.com. 
I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kick-Ass News. Kick-Ass News is a trademark of Mathis Entertainment, Inc.